everybody, and welcome to Over the Hump, the podcast that aims to provide you with a dose of midweek motivation to finish your week off strong. I'm your host, Christopher Morgan. Feel free to call me Chris. And this is episode number five, Can You See the Boogeyman? For those of you joining from last week, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, I was really excited to have such a great conversation. And for those of you joining in for the first time, welcome. Welcome to the community. Um, I also want to start off this episode by letting everybody know that this is a very different type of episode because I feel that I have a responsibility to address from my perspective what has been going on in the world, definitely within North America, for the past uh, couple of weeks. And... It's not going to be easy. I want to be very honest, and this is me exercising my vulnerability here, but, um, you know, I've already tried to record this a couple times, and honestly, I thought I was okay, and I don't know if you can actually hear it uh, in my voice or not. My I may sound a little congested, but yeah, it's been a tough morning. It's been a tough morning, me just thinking about how to craft this message and how to talk about these things, so... If I kind of go off track a little bit, or um, if I break down, I apologize in advance, but I'm going to do my best just to talk about this. So it's been a difficult couple weeks, my God. <sighs> there were many times where I've woken up in the last couple weeks wondering if what I was seeing on my social media feeds was real. It just seemed like a, it just seemed like a dream world. There's no way that this is happening. You know, and you know, for those of you that might have not necessarily been dialed in, there have been a series of recorded atrocities this year in 2020 that have taken place in the U S and it's spawned international attention just across the globe and it sparked a series of of protests in the United States you know and for my immediate circle i have opened the door to the people i know to just call me if they needed someone to talk to or if they generally just needed someone to explain what has come to pass if they didn't understand why people were so angry and, you know, most importantly, which I truly appreciate what they can do to help. And there have been some recurring themes in this conversation. And a lot of people have just been asking me because, you know, for those of you that don't know, this podcast takes place and is hosted in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, and, you know, I think there is this notion uh, for many Canadians, when we're looking at some of the things that happen within the United States, we don't believe that they happen here. And they may take a different form, but in every way, um, there are some similarities. And the recurring theme that was coming up with my, within my conversations was one of systematic racism. You know, and 
again, it, it may play out differently, but I want to explain my experience with systematic racism, and I'm going to be doing it by relating systematic racism to the boogeyman. You know, so if the term boogeyman is new to you, quick description, it's typically uh, a mythical creature created by adults to frighten their children into having good behavior. Okay, so in terms of the physical characteristics of the boogeyman, because it's created by adults to frighten their children into good behavior, uh, there's no specific appearance, right? So it varies from person to person and household to household and culture to culture. It looks very different from where it comes from or depending on where it comes from. Um, and I, I use the analogy of the boogeyman to describe systematic racism because the one consistency across all cultures when we're talking about boogeymen is that, um, you know, the only people that can see them are the people that are being impacted by it, right? So once it's created, once this boogeyman is created and then your parents tell you, hey, look, if you don't eat your vegetables, the boogeyman's going to come get you at night. And if you didn't eat your vegetables... You see the boogeyman, it's coming for you. And you can run to your parents and say, Dad, Mom, the boogeyman just came for me. And they can't see it, because to them it's a fictional character. So, you know, at some point they're just going to tell you, you didn't see anything, go back to bed. I want to take everybody back to a personal experience of mine when I was younger. Um, so the podcast is hosted in... Uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. That's where I'm from. I'm originally, or I should say that's where I live now, but where I'm from uh, is the nation's capital. I was born in the nation's capital, um, which is Ottawa, for those of you that don't know. So in Ottawa, we had moved when I was very young. I believe I, I was about seven. So we moved from more central Ottawa that tended to be a little bit more diverse into um, more of suburbia, a little bit further south. Uh, and I went to a different elementary school. Both of these schools were Catholic. The difference with this new Catholic school for me was that I was the only black person in that school. Um, but even more importantly, I think I was the only, actually not think, I was the only person of color at that school um, for the majority of my tenure there as a young, as a young man. And I remember one of my first, I would say... Um, you know, character forming memories, or um, maybe I guess the better word is uh, one of one of my recollections of my earliest programming within systematic racism was an exercise that our teacher had asked asked us to do. A very simple exercise. It was a Catholic school, so the exercise was to draw a picture of Jesus with your family. Now, I was super excited about this because for me, always being fairly artistically inclined as a children, um, as a children, as a child, I, I loved music. I still love music and am active in it. Um, I love to write and I love to draw. I loved all of those things. So this exercise for me was like candy, you know, and I was, I was going to go at it hard um, and I knew she was going to look around and we at some point were going to share with the rest of the class. Um, so I wanted to make sure that my work was good. So the teacher throughout the exercise was going around to check everybody's progress. And I could hear her 
and I could see her looking at everybody and saying, hey, Sarah, what a fantastic picture. You know what? Keep on going. It looks great. Billy, honestly, Billy, this is really, really good. You're really, you're really good at this. Uh, talking to child after child, congratulating and, and recognizing and encouraging as a good teacher does and as a good teacher should do. And then when she came to me, in all of my excitement, she came up to me and looked down at my picture. And then I remember her laughing, and I'll never forget it. She said, oh, Chris, that's not Jesus. And then she kept on walking, congratulating the other children on their drawing. Now, you know, you can imagine, I'm, I'm just thinking, what do you mean that's not Jesus. I'm doing the same exercise as everybody else. Like I thought I was, I was good at drawing, you know? So I kind of leaned back in my desk and I looked around and I noticed, you know, the Jesus in everybody else's picture was very different from mine because the Jesus in everybody else's picture was a white Jesus. And I had drawn with my black family, a black Jesus, because that was my existence. And that was my truth. And that's what I understood. Uh, and I tell people that story because it's a great example of, of systematic racism. And again, the, the scary thing and why I say that systematic racism is a problem is because it's hard to see. It's entrenched in something. It's entrenched in, in a type of program. And I wouldn't tell you for a second that I thought that teacher was bad. I actually think she was quite good. But she didn't understand the impact of her actions. And what the impact of her actions led to was me discarding my original picture and starting over so that I could have a white Jesus with my black family. Um, it was the beginning of me truly understanding that I was different. I was not the same as everybody else around me, even though I really wanted to be. But, you know, I remember that things were very tough and people were very quick to let me know that um, I was very different and, and to let me know my place. And I remember that there was times, even at that time, where it got so bad that the principal, who I loved, she was such a good person would have to call me into the office just to protect me from the slurs and the nasty, evil things that people would say. But how do you blame other kids? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. They learn that those things from their parents. They bring that into their environment from their household. And they in no way can conceptualize the impact of their words on one individual, and also at the same time, I mean, if everybody else is doing it, must it must be the norm, you know? So I can see the boogeyman, but they can't see my pain. And it's so wild to think that this one example, that it happened to me early in my childhood, just paved the way for how I, for how I think and how I look at things. And, you know, next week we're going to be talking about uh, imposter syndrome. I have a great discussion um, with someone that I'll introduce to you at that time. But it was the beginning of me really starting to question everything. That's how this plays out. Because of that, 
I look at every situation and I ask myself, do I belong here? Do I belong here? Am I supposed to be here? Why is it that nobody looks like me? And then even after I do the work to fight to make things happen and gain whatever success that I have, it's hard for me to even it's hard for me to even truly embrace the things that I've achieved because for some re- weird reason it it just feels like it isn't mine. You know, like I'm not supposed to have it. I don't know why I feel that way, but I can tell you it really sucks. So I guess in a sense, you know, if we're if we're going to talk about next steps and and kind of how we do forward, here's how how we move forward. Here's what I recommend. Okay? Number 1, um And this one's going to be the tough one because I've heard a lot of people say, and and this is kind of, this is touchy and it might be an unpopular opinion, but you know what? I'm going to go for it because I actually think it's important. I've heard very many people say, you know what? I've had to turn off my, uh, you know, I've had to either come off social media or turn off the notifications or it's just too much. This is too much. I can't, I can't even. And understand that's you also exercising a, a privilege. Okay, and I think if you really want to make a difference, the first things first things first, you got to face that boogeyman. Okay, because I'll tell you this much: if you start off with two days and you can't handle two or three days, you better push for a week, and you better consume everything and look at it, look at it straight in the eye, and let it impact you. Okay, and then after a week, I want you to take that week and I want you to multiply it by fifty-two, and then over a whole bunch of other decades. And understand that that is the life of many black people in North America. I'm not going to say that this is just, um, you know, again, it's not just an American problem. And that's what that's what they feel, right? Imagine being a part, the center of, of this conversation, the center of this protest, and being connected to that, and having to wake up and see that on a daily basis. And, you know, the reason why I recommend not turning it off, because if you truly want to empathize with someone, I say you feel the impact you you feel that impact and then i want you to recognize and come to peace with the fact that there are people in the world that can't no matter even if they turn off all of their social media outlets they turn off all of their notica- notifications they turn off their phones when they step outside they have to face that boogeyman every single day and there is no running and there is no hiding so if you want to understand you want to start there okay then after you feel that you're going to be you're not going to be one step closer to um the black experience or the black american experience but you'll be an inch closer you know that's going to be the the starting of empathy the next thing that i'm going to say is that i want you to educate yourself and i think that's that comes in two forms there are many books and articles in and around this subject um you know that talk about p- policing especially within the united states they that talk about systematic racism and how these things play out for a person of color or a black person um, within school, within work, and within their lives. And then the last phase of that education is that if you have a black person within your network, I want you to reach out and I want you to ask them about their experience and then I want you to listen. Ask as many questions as you want, but I want you to listen. Okay? And I want you to take what they're saying and then I want you to replace yourself 
and put yourself in their shoes to the best of your ability and think honestly after you felt the weight of exposing yourself to all of this content for a week, you know, what that would look like and how you would feel. And I guess lastly, the only thing that I have to say is, and I think the only benefit of this time is, this for me, uh, as a black Canadian, has been the best example and representation of everybody being able to see the boogeyman, right? For once, people are, are waking up and seeing it for the first time and they see how ugly it is. They see how dangerous this boogeyman is because this boogeyman takes lives. It takes lives of, of black children and black men and women. And now that we can all see the boogeyman, my question is, what are you going to do about it?